is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 406, recorded on Monday, November the 12th, 2018. It is indeed a Monday, everyone. We're recording a a day early today for a couple of reasons, the main one being I have to travel tomorrow, so I won't be available to do this. So we're slamming in the podcast as early as we can on Monday evening here. Yeah, we're doing it a day early and a dollar short. Pretty much, pretty much. So I apologize to anyone who um, was going to send in some feedback or a holy crap or something like that and didn't get it in in time because I didn't warn anyone that we were doing this on Monday, but maybe we'll include a few extras later in the week when we do the feedback. So just so you know, uh, that's why you're hearing us now and it might not even be Tuesday yet. Cool. We'll see. Um, one other thing I want to just mention before we get started here about, uh, this week's episode, Jason, is we got some more sad news today. Yeah, I saw it on the, uh, the internet. Stan Lee died today. He was 95 years old. And of course, like anyone doesn't know, he was basically the brains behind Marvel Comics back in the day. He created Spider-Man and the Hulk, uh, the Hulk, all kinds of characters, yeah. Uh, and he, he passed away today. You know, this doesn't have anything directly to do with The Walking Dead, but, I mean, he was a comic visionary, and of course this show comes from a comic book, so... Without Stan Lee, I don't know what we would have. Well, like, that's... I don't know if we'd have this show, I don't know if we'd have, uh, yeah, it, it, we'd be watching uh, murder mysteries all the time, I think. Well, maybe, and maybe that would be okay, but we certainly might not be watching this, might not be here talking about it. So Stan Lee passed away today. Our uh, thoughts go out to his friends and family, of course, but nobody has left a bigger mark on the comic industry. And when you think about all of the movies he's been in, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, he's probably been in more of them than any other single person in, you know, in Hollywood. Absolutely. In 95 years, that's a pretty darn good run. Boy, is it ever. 95 years. He will be missed. Not a lot of people last that long, and indeed, he he will be missed. Okay, we are here to talk about Season 9, Episode 6 of The Walking Dead, so let's get started. Who are you now? Who are you? Who are you now? Are you now? All right, thank you, Haley in Melbourne, Australia, and Scott in Arkansas. That was Scott's rendition of the title... In the uh, style of the Who, the Who. In case you didn't pick that up, <laughs> I picked it up. I yeah, I saw him put it down, and I picked it right up. Sweet, very good. The Who is one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, so yeah, wonderful. I really don't care about the Who at all. Well, you're an idiot. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> it happens. No, that's not true. I I love the Who. I've always been a big fan of the Who. And... I know you do, and I've never told you that I really don't. I couldn't care less. Well, okay. This is the first you've heard of this side of my character. Jason's ornery tonight. <laughs> I'm a little bit ornery. Okay. It's been, been a long day. We'll see. We'll see what happens the rest of the way here. So the episode is called Who Are You Now? And it is the first episode in, the, I think, what we'll call the Judith Grimes era of the show. Because Rick Grimes is gone. Carl Grimes is gone. Lori Grimes is gone. Judith is all that remains. Yeah, Shane's gone, her dad's gone, her, her mom's gone, mm-hmm. her, her other dad's gone, her brother's gone. Right. She's got her other mother now, though. She's got her other mother, that's right. Yeah. 
All right, let's get started. The cold open is basically Michonne doing a voiceover. She's talking about things like time passing, not giving up. Uh, but she goes on about how it's it's not that easy sometimes. She says things like the path ahead has only grown darker. And to me, that's implying that she's maybe having a little bit of trouble holding things together. Uh, she's losing control. Maybe even she's losing the desire to continue moving forward. Even though it's been six years since Rick exploded on that bridge, as far as she knows. No, flew off sideways into the river. Yeah. Okay. But yes, what she, from what she saw, she saw an explosion and then no more Rick. No more Rick. I, you know, you can only make so many assumptions. Yeah, of course. While we, while we hear her giving this voice over, we're sort of intercut with scenes of a couple other characters. We see Daryl, he wakes up in a ratty old tent somewhere yeah. And he's spear fishing in the river and then spears a, a river zombie, which I thought was pretty cool, but he lost the fish, which was unfortunate. Well, that sucks. He's very Grizzly Adams now. Yeah. He's very mountain man. He is. He is. Do you think he's been living out there on his own for a long time? Uh, yeah, absolutely. See, it seems like it. Like years. I think he's been living out there on his own for years. So I guess he's he's retreated from the group on purpose and... Like he, he, I wonder why. I, I hope we figure out or, or learn more about what he's doing out there, why he's been out there so long. I know we get another scene of him later towards the end of the episode, but I'm curious. I'm curious about what it is that's driven him away. You know what I mean? Well, if, it's, yeah. if it's not just See, him, his own personality. The nice thing about the jumping a number of years, six years, was it? Yes. Okay. So the nice thing about jumping six years is that everybody gets a new backstory. Well, that's true. There's a lot of backstory to be told in six years. Yeah. So it's uh, it's it really is a fresh start because now you have all these characters that you know, but like, shit, what happened? Like, really, what what's going on? Why why are they in this these situations now? So it's uh, it's kind of fun that we get new uh, new backstories. All right. Well, maybe we'll get some new story about Daryl. Uh, we go over to Carol. She wakes up, looks at a quote on her wall that says. At time we crack, only to let the light in. At times we crack? Excuse me, at times we crack, yes. Yep. And it's written over a crack on the wall. It is, yeah. Yeah, so it's a crack quote. (laughs) It's a crack quote. Why not? (laughs) Uh, She looks out over the kingdom, um, just sees things out there, people doing stuff, work happening, stuff like that. Uh, Michonne, while she's delivering this voiceover, we see her sort of out on a run searching a crashed van. She searches through the van. She finds a four-leaf clover. So I guess that wasn't so lucky for somebody. And then she finds an action figure that looks just like Rick. It's a sheriff with his arm outstretched holding his gun. I mean, that's Rick's signature pose right there. Yep. It's handy that, uh, I guess the, the real world is, uh, intermixing with, uh, with this fictional one. That's right. <laughs> it's, it's like, oh my, oh my goodness gracious, it's a Rick's, Rick Grimes action figure. It sure is. You know, the day that I start leafing through or, you know, rummaging through something, a uh, an old burned out warehouse or a storage locker or an old van, and I find a Jason Miles action figure, I'm going to be a little freaked out. Even if I find a Chris action figure, I'm going to be a little freaked out. Well, it could happen, but I think you're right. It might be a little weird. Geez, I hope this is not a TV show that somebody's watching. 
<laughs> I would have. I would have put that'd pants be on. weird and boring. <laughs> <laughs> and I would have put pants on had I known. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Most most everybody in uh, television shows uh, wear pants. Almost always. Not always. Almost. Almost always. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Michonne is still doing her voiceover while we we see her rummaging through this car, and she starts to realize that there are flashes of light or she says tiny beacons that call to us. And that's what she realizes when she picks up the Rick action figure. You know, it's kind of the universe reminding her that Rick was important to her and that she does need to keep going and keep fighting uh, for him. Now we see Daryl, he finds a walker that has grown into a tree. Basically that walker must've been standing there so long that the tree grew around it. Yeah. That's weird. Kind of weird, but that's uh, happened before, you know. People, somebody found a body inside a tree. Well, but they died in the tree, right? And then the tree just grew up around them. Yeah, well, obviously they're not; they weren't undead or alive well, sure. at the time. They were they're stuck, you know, stashed in the tree, probably murdered. But the tree had completely grown around them. Wow! And they'll grow around fences and oh yeah, all that stuff. That, that's happening in my backyard right now. I've got trees like growing over fences and through things and stuff. So You know what a- the scary, creepy thing is, though, just related to this, is that uh, the human body will grow around other things. There are stories, I've seen pictures, and they're kind of disturbing, of uh, people that have been imprisoned and chained up for so long that their body has grown around the chain. And that- it's, it's kind of incorporated into their uh, into their wrists and their arms. That's horrifying. It is absolutely horrifying. But, uh, you know, life will do some... Weird and wonderful things in order to try and survive. I suppose it's also fascinating from a, uh, I don't know, scientific perspective, maybe? From a scientific perspective, from a uh, a social perspective, that's horrifying. Horrifying, exactly. Yeah. So Daryl's looking at this, this walker stuck to the tree, and a bird comes, lands on its shoulder, plucks a worm from its ear to go feed its babies in its nearby nest. That's nice. How about that, eh? I mean, the birds aren't afraid of the zombies. No, because, yeah, I, I guess they're not, they don't make good scarecrows after all. No, not really. Uh, we see Carol gardening. She notices a flower that has grown out of the pavement. So we're getting these little flashes of uh, light, beacons that call to us, Jason. We see a bird. Uh, Daryl sees a bird, I mean, and Carol sees a flower. Michonne finds the Rick action figure. These are all things, the little things in life that you have to appreciate and remember you know, to keep fighting for. Yep. Uh, Michonne she finishes. She also finds toilet paper in that van. Uh, she does indeed, which is very so that's, important. So that's a little beacon of light too, I'm sure, after a number of years. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think it was in uh, the early 1900s that they, uh, uh, there was some fir- the first advertising of uh, toilet paper that won't give you splinters. <laughs> Not made of tree bark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's some good advertising right there. I appreciate the move forward in technology where toilet paper doesn't give you splinters. Oh, that's one of the things I appreciate all the time. And in fact, Jennifer on Facebook wrote, holy crap, did you see Michonne with all the toilet rolls strapped onto her horse? I think she appreciates it too. It's important. It really is. Sliverless toilet paper. You need it. Uh, all right. Michonne finishes her little voiceover by saying that she'll never give up. And as she walks away, the camera pans to the blown out bridge. So a couple of things I thought was interesting about the cold open here, Jason. Number one, I assumed we would see 
like sort of exactly what she's talking about. And I figured it would be some sort of um, marker for Rick, right? Maybe not like a, a grave, but some sort of marker to indicate this is where he died. Yeah. Um, but we didn't see that. We just see her kind of talking to to the ground, l- maybe looking at something, maybe not. Um, and then and then it pans up to the bridge and she's on her way. So I thought that was a nice touch. They didn't have to show us anything. We just sort of make it up in our mind, whatever is there. Right. But the bridge is still blown out. They never fixed the bridge. They never fixed the bridge, but there was no need to, because as we learn later, there there isn't as much of a relationship with Hilltop anymore. Well, that's... Uh... That's an interesting point of the the backstory that uh, that we get in this episode is that uh, no, there isn't a relationship with the. Is it because the bridge is out and that communication was more difficult and uh, you know having information and people and goods flow between the two um, settlements because it, that bridge broke down that their relationship broke down. I think it's probably probably part of it, but it sounds like there might be some other circumstances too that again we. We'll find out more about, but yeah, I mean, if, if they're not, if they're not in communication with Hilltop all that much, they just don't need the bridge. I mean, there's still ways to get there, obviously, because they can go around other bridges or some other way, but, um, but I think that's why they didn't fix it because they didn't feel the need. There's, there'd been a falling out at some point. Yeah. And that's why Rick wanted to, uh, make sure that that bridge was fixed. It's important to, uh, uh, to maintain community and, uh, even uh, Ezekiel was saying that to, uh, to what's his name, that, uh, the bridge is important to build community and, uh, to keep people together. Oh yeah. In a, in a episode, maybe the first or second one, right. To, oh. to Henry. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other thing I thought was interesting about this cold open is they focused entirely on Michonne, Daryl and Carol. I think it's obvious who sort of the three main characters of this show are going to be for a little while. Yeah. It's going to be those three, um, which is great. I mean, they're, they've been around for a long time and those three are fascinating, strong, amazing actors and good characters. So um, I think they're just reminding us that, you know, you may have lost Rick, but you look at what you've still got. We still have a wealth of, of character here to work with. So don't worry about it. Yep. That's good. Adam in Texas wrote, holy crap, the early bird catches the walker earworm. That was actually some decent CGI, vastly better than the deer from a few seasons back. But he says, to be fair, the last Starfighter had better CGI than the deer. That's true. (laughs) I rewatched that within the last two years, I think. The CGI was bad. Oh, the last Starfighter. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen it in, in, in an awfully long time, so... Oh, it's so awful. I'll have to check it out. <laughs> All right. It's it's worse than, uh, yeah, it's like playing a 1980s video game bad. Well, I certainly loved video games in the 80s, but I guess looking back, yeah, not the same. All right, after our opening credits, we are right back into the scene that we finished on last week where Judith finds Magna's group. Uh, we've got Eugene, Rosita, Laura, Aaron, and... Who else? Is Sadiq there? I'm not I sure. Don't think Sadiq is there. Maybe it's just those four. Eugene, Rosita, Laura, and Aaron. They're running looking for Judith. They're calling out for Judith and Jude. I think it's fun they call her Jude. I like that name. Yep. Uh, and of course they find her and they run into her with Magna's group. And now the adults don't want to bring them back, but Judith insists. 
And as they're debating it, some walkers come after them. And who steps up to kill these three walkers all by himself, Jason? Eugene. He sure Eugene does. Eugene steps up and is, isn't the uh, uh, the wilting violet that he was previously. No, he is not. He has gained some skills, clearly, and he's gotten over his fear of protecting himself. So look at that. Yeah. He is He is on the ball now. Well, that's because he's basically Samson. He's got that really long ponytail now. He does. Like his mullet has blossomed into a majestic rat tail type thing. It's pretty awesome. Trisha on the internet wrote, holy crap, Eugene doesn't not have a mullet. He has a mullet braid and found his brave knife swinging skills. A mullet braid. Super mullet. <laughs> yeah. It is what I would have called in my younger years a rat tail, as you said. Uh, but I have i don't know that I've ever seen a braid rat tail like that yeah it's it's um i think it's a step in the glorious direction okay for uh for eugene all right i think so i liked it it was pretty awesome um before we cut away though uh rosita doesn't want to bring them back but aaron kind of agrees with judith and says well we have to uh so we we just get a sense here that they haven't been all that welcoming to new people but at the same time, Judith, you know, she's she's her her father's daughter, so she wants to bring him back. Yeah. Or her brother's sister, because <laughs> remember, he brought back Sadiq, too. <laughs> That's true. And I got a good look at uh, Aaron's prosthetic hand. Oh, uh, yeah. This time. It very much looks like the first step towards becoming a full Tin Man. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, if he'll chop off a leg next, then they'll replace that. And just piece by piece, we'll uh, eventually get the Tin Man. Okay, Aaron the Tin Man. Sweet. See, normally I would have pegged uh, Eugene as the Cowardly Lion, but he's not. Uh, he seemed to find his courage, so I think maybe they already visited the wizard. Oh, damn, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We go over to the kingdom, and Carol is still looking out. Now Jerry is there, and they talk quickly about how the place is falling apart. So that kind of, kind of uh, explains why the wall was cracked so badly. I think the kingdom is in a state of disrepair. Yeah, having I know trouble. that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. And they're having some trouble just keeping it all together there. Yep. They chat about her being the queen and Henry being the prince, or at least Jerry does. And Carol wants none of that, of course. It's not her, her style. Uh, but Sally on the internet writes, holy crap, Queen Carol. That was a nice little touch. Now, if we can just get her talking in iambic pentameter. <laughs> That'd be great. That would be it's great. Just, no, not why. I am so sad. Yeah, I guess, but I'm, I can't see Carol doing that. No. Well, they hear a loud bang, and they run downstairs to a water pipe that's burst. Henry, grown up, teenager Henry, is there fixing it, trying to fix it, to get, uh, fix it, and together they tape it, tape it up, and With duct tape. That seems to work. <laughs> yeah, duct tape doesn't work. Well, no, but it did in this case. It looked like there was something inside the duct tape, and they were using the duct tape to wrap wrap it around. No, yeah, they put a collar on it, but then wrapped it. But uh, duct tape does not is not waterproof. No, like I mean, it's good for a short term thing, but yeah, I mean, and then they go on about how it's fixed. Like, yep, it was broken. Yeah, but you fixed it. Oh, that's not fixed. That's temporarily patched a little bit. Well, it's enough to have it not explode right then and there because there were some pressure gauges, and Jerry said, "You're all good, dude." Yeah, I wouldn't stand near it. There's uh, no way. No, probably not. <laughs> Anyways, some quick thinking by Henry. 
Yeah. And he's okay. Well, he had a whole box full of these patches, these patch pieces, right? Oh, okay. So this is what he was down there doing was patching these pipes. So I don't think it was necessarily quick work and quick thinking. I think that's what he was doing down here was patching this shit. And then something blew because he patched one hole, which caused a, a leak somewhere else. And now he had to patch this hole. And now that was the last hole they had to patch. All right. Well, but he he got her done for now. He did. He did. Ezekiel shows up, praises his son for his good work fixing it. Uh, but Henry kind of complains that they need better tools. They need someone who's trained. So I think he knows. He knows that duct tape is not the answer. And he sort of sass talks his dad, but gets scolded for it. Uh, you know, which is... Watch your tone, mister. Which was fun to see. I enjoyed that. Uh, we go outside upstairs and we would have... Get a quick shot. It's a little bit later now. So Henry's practicing with his stick. He's got the Morgan uh, training, remember? Yep. And did you see the cool move he does? I did. It was pretty cool. It rolls the stick over his back, over his neck, and he catches it on the other side. I thought that was pretty fun. Uh, Ezekiel and Carol are talking about maybe sending him off to the hilltop. They mention an upcoming fair that I guess is going to be happening, and they're trying to fix the place up for that. Um, and... Uh, they just sort of walk around looking like a happy couple. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Okay, so the other group arrives back at Alexandria with the new people under hoods. And they take the hoods off. Judith promises they'll be safe there and then takes Magna's hand to lead them through the gates of Alexandria. And they get inside and they all seem really surprised and amazed at what they find inside there. So I, I think they've been out on their own for some time. I think so, too. Did you notice the differences uh, between the, the Alexandria of the past and the new Alexandria? Even just, like, the fence is different, and so is the gate. The gate was a slide-open gate before. Now it's a uh, open-up-like-a-door-type mm-hmm. gate. Um, the You remember uh, we talked about uh, early on in the uh, Alexandria plotline, um, the supports, the angled supports were on the outside of the wall. Right. And I thought that that was dumb. Now they're on the inside of the wall. Or at least a bunch of them are. There were still, like, from the shot on the outside, there was still some on the outside, but I think they're slowly going, geez, that's a really dumb idea. Why don't we put these supports on the inside so nobody can climb up them? Well, good. So they're now that they, I guess they're starting to think about these things now that they have a little bit of uh, comfort in there maybe, right? Yeah. And then maybe, uh, you know, they brought in a structural engineer as a consultant going, what, why, why? No, they wouldn't do it this way. <laughs> What are you do doing? Do it the other way. They, they fix that. Fix that. Right, also, right. We're doing a time jump in uh, two seasons. We'll fix it then. Right. We got well, lots of time during that yeah. six-year period. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. We get a wide panning shot of the town, and it's different. The, the big church slash barn is, is all rebuilt right in the middle there. There's stuff growing everywhere, and they have a large functioning windmill, which looks like it's built on the top of a house. As if, yeah. they, as if they tore off the second story of the house and built a huge windmill on top of it. So I thought that was really cool. I wonder what they're milling. I think... Because it's a windmill, right? So they got to mill something. Mill like crushing corn into corn powder or... Uh, I don't know what they're doing. They're crushing something. Can't they just... Making coffee. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe they are. Can't they just be spinning that thing in the wind and generating electricity? They could, but that's really impractical for like a big building like that. Sure. Like they're uh, typically those things were built uh not to generate power but to actually mill things, like to either uh to grind up some kind of uh plant-based product or uh spin a sawmill kind of thing. Sure. Well, I don't know, who knows what they're doing, but they've got a big windmill and it's spinning. 
That's cool. It is pretty cool looking, I thought. Uh, so Father Gabe comes out of his church. Uh, everyone's kind of still just arriving. Gracie, baby Gracie, who's not a baby anymore, calls to her daddy, Aaron, He's, but he says, stay back. So that's a nice touch. They just, you know, in that one quick scene told us, yep, Gracie's still alive. She lives with Aaron and everybody's happy. And now it made me concerned that he lied to her and said that uh, she's actually his daughter when, in fact, she's a stolen baby when uh, when they killed her parents, whoever they were. Well, we killed a bunch of people, and then we found you, so somebody was your parent, but I don't know who, which body can, that was. Sorry. Can, can you not just sort of take glass half full and think she's his adoptive daughter and he loves her and every, you know everything's great now? Even though he yeah, except for the kidnapping and stuff, I, I just don't have a problem with the kidnapping. You know, <laughs> it's it's fine and good when everybody's a willing participant in this uh, adoption process. But uh, you know, when you're on a raid and you kill a bunch of people and then find a baby, and it's like, well, I guess I got to raise this thing now. Uh, you know, it just it adds a little layer of taint to it. <laughs> sure, I guess so. But I was just happy to see them together. And she's still alive, which is great. That, so That's good. I applaud people still being alive. All right. Fair enough. Six years later. Yeah. So a group, including Sadiq, right, Sadiq is here. He comes over and he takes Yumiko to the in, uh, infirmary for treatment because she's the one who's in the worst shape of the group. Uh, Michonne rides through the gate and questions what the hell is going on. She does not look very happy to see any of these new people. And she gives Magna a pat down. Make sure she is clean and doesn't actually have any weapons. Although Eugene assures her that she does not. <laughs> yep. Um, both wrong. <laughs> both wrong. She she kind of scolds her people for bringing them in. Uh, but Judith says it was her decision. And they all agree to bring them before the council and vote on their fate uh, in the morning. Yeah, that's exactly how Fight Club worked. Like you first rule of Fight Club is do not talk about Fight Club. Mm -hmm. If there are new new members, you get voted in by a council and you have to fight. Right. Well, that's kind of what we got going on here. Don't yeah. bring them in. But if you do, and that's what Aaron says, he's like, but they're here now. So we got to do something. Uh, and they decide to talk, you know, vote. The council will vote in the morning. And just before the commercial break, Judith finds the action figure that Michonne brought back. Yeah. Which because I, Michonne bent down. And somehow it fell out of that pouch. Well, she, no, she threw her bag away as she walked in. Remember she, oh, I didn't it. mention that, but she's walking in and throws her bag away, which I thought was weird. But, and I, I just thought having the bag, the, the action figure fall out and have Judith find it by chance was a little bit odd too. Yeah. They could have easily, just as easily have done it with a short scene later on where she gives it to her, but I don't know. Yeah, it could be. I mean, this, she's got, uh, she's got Daryl disease there. You know, just throw things away. Somebody will pick it up and bring it back to me. Well, yeah. She, you know, I did notice, though, that, I mean, Michonne, they have a system going here, right? As soon as Michonne rode in, someone else walked up to her to take the horse, it looked like, and sort of, you know, let Michonne go do her thing and deal with this situation. And it just felt like they had people with jobs and roles and... Classes. And classes. <laughs> no, not classes. It seemed a little bit like there's a class structure here. Right? Uh, yeah, I mean... You walk in and a surf comes and takes your horse and brings it to the, the, to the stable and... I, I know what you mean. It. I know what you mean. And I, in deep down, I had that feeling too, a little bit. But I was sort of thinking, you know, it's just, you need, you need a horse wrangler. Is that a job, a horse wrangler? 
Well, stable hand. Stable. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Horse horse wrangler is good. I mean, I mean, what are you what are you going to wrangle? Horses or cows? Sure. Right. Well, I guess so. So they, they well, they call them ho- cowboys, right? They don't call them horse boys. Uh, uh, no, not usually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I just sort of thought this is nice. People have roles and have jobs, and Michonne rides in, and if she, she if she spent all day out on her horse and then had to wrangle the horses when she got back, it wouldn't be efficient. She's got other things to do. So, it, yeah, it did feel like they had you know a structure here and things organized really well. Wouldn't be befitting her station. It's one way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Commercial break, and we come back. Ezekiel is saying goodbye to Henry, and he hugs him and says, that was for the boy, and then shakes his hand and says, that was for the man, which nice. I really liked. I really liked that that scene. I thought that was really nicely done. He gives him some advice because he's going to be gone away for a while. He says, be respectful, be responsible, be kind, and be safe. Also, great advice. Yeah, and eat your vegetables. Right. And Don't drink too much. All good advice. Exactly. Yeah. Watch out for zombies. Uh, well, that's a given. I guess you don't have to say that. If you're not doing that, you're probably dead by now. Yeah. Okay. Well, they are. So Ezekiel is staying at the kingdom while Carol takes Henry to the hilltop. And this is where Ezekiel, he mentions that things would be better if they could bring the communities back together as full partners. So this is kind of where we find out that that they haven't been working with Hilltop very much and really don't have a lot of communication with them, I, I guess. Partly because the bridge is out and partly because, I guess, they've just grown apart a little bit. But do you think Enid is in charge at Hilltop now? No, Jesus is in charge. Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. Must be Jesus. Well, who else is going to be in charge but Jesus? Well, I got to think so, yeah. Um, Not Enid. Enid's the doctor. She's the doctor. You're right. So it's Jesus. I guess Jesus is in charge. We're going to see him next week, I think. Or maybe that uh, that savior guy, that really good-looking savior guy. What's his name? Really good-looking savior guy? Yeah, the overly uh, oh. photogenic uh, savior guy. that uh, Alden. Alden, yeah. He might be in charge. Oh, that's right. He might be in charge there, too. Well, it depends on who you think is better looking, Jesus or Alden. Right. I, you know what? They could they could be co-leaders. <laughs> they could be co-leaders. <laughs> or, you know. They're together now. Uh, nice. You know, I don't know, leader and vice leader, something like that. Yeah, maybe they could be, yeah, co-leaders. I think that's what's good. What's that called? Co-leader. Is that a, is that a thing? I don't think so. You can't have two leaders. You have to have a sure president and a vice president. I got two managers. Well, I bet you that's not efficient. <laughs> not really. <laughs> All right. So we go to the council now at Alexandria. And as far as I can tell, the council consists of new guy, Laura, Michonne, Gabe, Aaron, Sadiq, and Nora. Right. Who we just met a few weeks ago for the first time. But God, then, I hope New Guy's his actual name. Well, I don't know who he is. I didn't it's recognize It's probably him. like Jeremiah Newman. Yeah, probably right. Newman. <laughs> 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 I like that. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who he is, though. They all, but they do all ask, well, not all of them, but they ask a series of questions to Magda and her group standing in front of them. And I won't go through all of them, but they, they want to know who's the leader. And she basically says, we don't really have one. Uh, how did, did you know each other before? No, they didn't. And then they talk about who were you before? Who are you now? Stuff like that. And I don't think the answers that they gave were super important. But what this scene did for me is that it gave us some insight into the dynamic of the group. 
if you know what I mean. Like, it, yeah, Ma you know, Magna is a woman of few words. She doesn't say a lot. And Luke, the other, the guy in the end, he likes to talk a lot. He did most of the talking in these scenes. Uh, Connie and Kelly are the other two. They're clearly very close. Uh, Kelly is the translator for Connie, who, who speaks in sign language. Yep. which I thought was very, very cool. We have a, we have a character, we have a sign language only character on, on the show now. That is, that must be super rare. I would, I would think so, but that's cool. It's very, very cool. Yeah. So they have this conversation with them to just sort of get a feel for who they are and what they're doing, what they're all about. And then to me, Aaron kind of seemed the most affected by their story because they've talked about what they've been through a little bit. And he suggests they take a vote on what to do. But Michonne, who's been pretty quiet up to this point, she stands up and she says that we want to be a kind and generous society, but it's difficult to trust people. And uh, she walks over to Magna and reveals a prison tattoo on her hand. So yep. she hasn't been... Or she she thinks Magna hasn't been totally honest with them. So Michonne used to be a lawyer, right? She did. So the problem I had with uh, her revealing the uh, the prison tattoo to everybody else is that as a lawyer, she knows you never ask the question uh, when you don't already know the answer. If you don't know the answer, you, there's a pretty good chance that you probably shouldn't ask the question. So did she know already that she had a prison tattoo underneath that bandage? Yep. I think it was How a, did she know? I think it was a glove, but uh, no, she, she knew. She knew it was there already, and that's how she knew that Magda wasn't being honest with them because she said, I waited tables at a diner. Yeah, so yeah, Michonne was doing a very lawyerly thing, right? Mm -hmm. Catching someone in a lie and proving that it was a lie in order to achieve some kind of argument. Right. Right? Uh, so... But I just, I questioned, they didn't show any information on how she knew that uh, that there was a prison tattoo underneath the glove, I guess. I think, well, yeah, but I, I'm not sure if they needed to. Like, they showed her frisk her before. I think she probably noticed it during the frisking. Um, you know, I don't know for sure, but that's that's my explanation for it. Or it's just something she noticed as she was, you know, examining these people or, you know, sizing them up, so to speak. Uh, I don't think she noticed it right then and there. I think she was keeping it in her back pocket for when she needed to expose the lie, like you said. But I got to think it's from when she frisked her at the gate. Okay. Or, you know, they also said put them in holding and we'll talk about it tomorrow. Right? So it's been overnight as well. Yeah. So that was my other thought was that they just kind of, they just jump cut right over the whole night. But in holding, I assume that they're being monitored somehow. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't. Uh, I mean, the, well, you throw them in there and there's a guard outside the door at the very least, but. You would think, but the other problem is the next night they're back in holding. And then uh, what's her name with the prison tattoo? What was her character's name? Magna. Magna leaves and goes knocks on Michonne's door. Yeah. So that guard sucks. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I'm with you there. I don't really understand what was going on there. Um, But I don't think holding the first night is the same as where they were the second night. Cause in the second night they were just in a house, but yeah, you'd well, that, still that's think you'd got to be holding. I mean, there's still, you know, their, their fate is up in the air. There's no voting that's happened. No, that's right. You'd still, well, they have decided that they're going to send them away, but you're right. I mean, it doesn't feel like they're under lock and key or anything like that. So 
Yeah. Uh, the other thing that happens in this scene at the council, though, after the prison tattoo, is um, Magna, uh, or sorry, Michonne, reveals that Magna has a knife that she's hidden in her belt buckle. So she wasn't clean, as Eugene said. She had a belt buckle knife. Yeah. Hidden weapon. And Michonne knew about that, but didn't reveal it at the time. Again. So she could have this back in her back pocket as well. From the frisking, I assume. Right? She yeah. saw it when she crouched down in front of her and looked straight at her belt buckle. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So we go to commercial break, and when we come back, we've got Father Gabe, and he's somewhere, and he uncovers some old radio equipment. He turns it on, and Rosita comes in and says that she thought he gave up using that stuff. Uh, and he says he did, but their new people have reminded him that there might be more out there. And they talk about Eugene saying that they could go out and set up a remote amplifier to boost the signal if they want to find more people or try to communicate with more people. Sure. She agrees to go out and install the relay box. And then they pretty passionately kiss. Yeah, they're a thing now, too. I mean, I did not see that coming at all. That was a surprise and a delight. I think they're wonderful together. And I don't, you know, it's been six years. I'm pretty sure Jadis is not coming back. Or if she is, that uh, her and Father Gabe's relationship is uh, over. Completely different if, if yeah, not totally over. Um, But yeah, I just, I never saw this coming from a million miles away. But look at that. Rosita and Father Gabe have a thing. They are an item. Yep. It's pretty amazing. I applaud it. Incidentally, I think Rosita's new hair is amazing. I think the triple braid... Looks so cool, and I hope she has that forever. Okay, I'm, a, I'm just saying I'm a big fan of it. I so far I really like the new, all the new hairstyles. Michonne's sort of one-sided dreads are awesome. Uh, the rat tail is awesome, and Rosita's triple braid, amazing. What about Carol's long, uh, glorious gray locks? I like that too. I like that too. I was I was going to save it for the end, but uh, Michonne's wig looks awful. You think? It looks so much like a wig now, at least before it didn't really look like a wig. But now with the short part Mm -hmm. of it, you can see very much that she is pretty close to bald, shaven, and they just slapped a wig on her. Like it's it's glued down pretty good, but there's a definite definite thing there. And Carol's uh, hair is the same. I mean, it's... It's um usually I don't call out wigs and I'm not very good at uh, identifying them but the, especially in the first shot of the cold open with that very very close close up with uh, with Michonne I'm like yeah that's so obvious really it's a wig yeah do you think it's just that you know that it's a wig like if you didn't know would you be able I, to tell I if I didn't know up until today I would know now okay all right it was it was pretty obvious okay well. Uh, that's unfortunate. I still think what they're going for is cool, though. Yes. Ezekiel's wig still works. I didn't find a flaw with that, but I know that's a wig. It is, for sure. That guy's yeah. that guy's bald in real life, too. Yeah, so. All right. Yeah. Well, I love the triple braid. And that's Daryl, real. on the other hand, that's his real hair. It is. And I think the triple braid is real, too, right? On Rosita. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's absolutely real. Okay, sweet. I'm, that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm with you on that one. Awesome. Uh, okay, we go to Judith, and she is approaching Michonne's room upstairs in their house, and she overhears Michonne talking to somebody. She's saying things like she needs to be uh, 
for these people how Rick was before. And turns out she's talking to nobody, of course, but really sort of just speaking out loud to, to Rick, probably. Judith, I don't think she's talking to nobody. What do you mean? Well, we see it later, but she's not talking to nobody. Michonne is, well, there's nobody else in the room with her. How do you know? I think her son's in the room with her. Oh, okay. I didn't think of that. No, I, I, I think she's talking to, I think this is a phone moment for her, like Rick used to have with the phones. She's just uh, talking to her, you know, long lost husband. That phone was fun. I missed that phone. Yeah, yeah, of course. Anyways, Judith turns to leave and the floor creaks, which alerts Michonne to her presence. And they don't talk about what Michonne was doing. She just says it's time for her lessons and homework. And uh, they, you know, Judith goes on on her way down the stairs. We go over to Carol and Henry. They're on the road. And he says they missed a turnoff for Hilltop. (laughs) And she says that they're not going there yet. And before she can explain, they hear a woman crying for help. So Henry jumps down, runs to her aid. Turns out it's Regina, and it was a trap this whole time. And then Jed and the remaining saviors capture them. So those guys are still hanging around six years later. So, yeah, this, um, we'll cover this more a little bit later. But I, when I first saw this, I was crestfallen. Explain. I was like, oh, we're going to deal with savior, more savior crap. It's been six years. I'm tired of the saviors, but we'll get to it later. Just I just wanted to point out that at this point in the story, I was like, oh, come on. We're done with the saviors, aren't we? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, But I was just surprised that they were still there, to be honest. like, No, they're somewhere else. Well, they're, they're, not, they're still in the, the county. Around. Let's say. I mean, they're, they're around. Still... They're, they didn't like fuck off to Brazil or something. No, they're still sort of present in the area. Um six years after it. But at the same time we saw, or we didn't really see what happened at the camp. Remember when they heard the gunshots in the, in the dynamite hole. So there had to be some fallout from that. So I'm not surprised they're back. It's just six years seems like a long time for them to be hanging out on their own. They do make a reference. Maybe they, they buggered off to somewhere else and they're like, you know what? Those communities they still got some good stuff over there. We should go back and see if there's anything we can uh, we can snag. So maybe not. It's not that they hang around, hung around. Maybe it's that they're back. Yeah, and I think that's kind of part of it. They do make a reference at one point during the episode that I think what they did is they went back to the sanctuary, tried to make it work there or restart it, and that failed. Without Negan, they couldn't keep get their shit together and keep things going, and so now they're kind of out on their own again, scavenging for stuff. So I think that's what was going on. Um, they weren't just living in the forest the whole time. Although Jed is, does look pretty damn dirty. <laughs> you can travel a far distance and come back and still be dirty. Well, I don't think that guy has bathed in a very, very long time. And Regina's hair is all crazy. It's not like nicely yeah. combed back anymore. So, Well, that's my philosophy. You know, I, I take a shower once every two weeks, whether mm-hmm. I need it or not. Well, yeah, they, they, I think his philosophy, philosophy might be once every six months, whether he needs it or not. <laughs> yeah. Well, that guy that actually got that from, uh, what was the name of that show with, uh, the guy who lived in a cabin in the woods with his friendly bear, Ben? I don't know. Grizzly Adams. That was okay. it. Remember that show, Grizzly Adams? No. There was this old trading, uh, guy that came by every once in a while or maybe every episode. I don't know. Uh, and would talking to, was talking to him, and uh, he mentioned one time, I take a bath every spring, whether I need it or not. 
Yeah. I thought, I, that kind of always stuck with me. I'm like, that's a good line. All right. It's a good line and a good uh, philosophy good to philosophy, live by. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is the scene where we really get Carol, you know, in all her glory with her bow. And Tony in Aylmer, Ontario writes, holy crap, the elven warrior queen Carol with her bow and that hair. Glad to see that six years hadn't taken away from her fiery edge. Yeah. She doesn't have an assault <laughs> rifle, though. I guess she ran out of bullets. I guess, but she looks awesome with the hair and the bow. So, yeah. Very good point, Tony. She's still got her knife. Knives don't run out of bullets. Nope. You don't run out of ammo with those. You don't. You absolutely but, don't. But a knife fight is a bad idea. The winner of a knife fight, or the loser of the knife fight dies on the spot. The winner dies in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. <laughs> so don't ever get in a knife fight. I'm going to try my best not to, because okay. I... I'd probably be the loser of the knife fight, but I feel like you're a loser either way. Pretty much. After a commercial break, we are with Rosita and Eugene. They're on the road, and he starts talking about the seriousness of her relationship with Father Gabe, and he suggests that there might be other men available to her, such as, he says, somebody who believes in facts and science instead of fables and fairy tales. (laughs) Know what I mean? Know what I mean? Nudge, nudge. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was hilarious, actually. It was a great scene, just seeing him be so awkward, trying to let her know that he likes her. <laughs> oh, like, she didn't know that since long before she joined the show. I know. Right? Her and him and Abraham and, like, come on. She's known that for so many years now. Oh, yeah. Totally. I just, I think it was a great scene. It was a great scene. You know? It was, it was good. The two of them work really well together. Uh, but they come across some fresh zombie tracks, which... They look at and think, oh, there might be hundreds of them going this way, so that's bad. We cut over to Sadiq, and he's treating Yumiko in the infirmary at Alexandria. Uh, Outside the window, Michonne is training Judith with the sword, which I thought was pretty cool looking. Yep. And then Luke asks Sadiq if he was there from the start, and he says, no, I came later. Someone brought me in, but things were different then. So just a quick sort of scene of, of Luke trying to show that he's interested in you know, being a part of this community, I think. How were they different, though? It was exactly the same. Somebody brought him in without permission and uh, had to uh, talk everybody else into letting him stick around. That's exactly the same situation. I know. It pretty much is. Uh, But I guess the difference is Rick isn't there. But I don't know. Judith is there, and she's the one who brought, brought them in, so. Yeah, she's a little Rick. She really is. She's a little Rick. So, yeah, I really don't see uh, how it was different then. Unless there's something happened from then till now uh, where somebody was welcomed into the community where it went bad. Yeah. That's all I can think of. I'm sure that probably has happened. I wouldn't be surprised. There's also a council now, don't forget. There is a group of people who make these decisions rather than just one guy who tends to lose his mind occasionally. Uh, Yeah. So that's, that's a difference, I think. That, yeah, that, an important one too. Is that better? Is that worse? A council? Eh, that's the whole point of a whole bunch of episodes this season that one person can't make these decisions on behalf of everybody. I know, but sometimes, uh, well, I worry that uh, over, you know, uh, over politicking small communities can be uh, cumbersome and can prevent uh, forward motion. Sure. Oh, totally. You you may be right. However, it is a difference. <laughs> It is. And that's all Sadiq is saying. Things are different now. Well, it also depends on the council. Like a true, uh, you know, uh, a, a real anarchy is not just chaos. It's uh, you have a council where you discuss things and then everybody, nobody says what you should do. 
Just you have a council and you discuss things and then you go off and do whatever the hell you want. Maybe you were swayed by the discussion. Maybe you weren't, you know, but nobody's dictating uh, rules and laws on somebody else. And that's, that's what anarchy is. It's not just absolute chaos with people stabbing each other with knives. There's discussion and and forums. It's just, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go do whatever the hell I want. And everybody's like, yeah, that's fine. Right. But they're not going, they're not going for anarchy here. They're going for some, uh, or order. And that's why they vote on things. Yeah. But anyways, that's, that's true. Yeah. But it's not a, it's a, it's more of a republic than a, I think that I'm using that term. It's not a democracy, true democracy. True democracy is everybody votes. Whereas uh, a republic, I think, is that the uh, the ruling class votes. I'm sure you'll be uh, corrected on yeah, that. Yeah, please, internet, correct me this, if, uh, if I might be wrong. This quick scene, though, for me was more about Luke just trying to appeal and be friendly and be like, you know what, we're, we're good people. Uh, maybe you want to keep us here. Um, so he was doing that. Yeah. Uh, we go over to Carol and the saviors and Henry and they sort of have them captive now, of course. And Jed tells Carol that he's going to let them live, but he's going to take all their stuff. Very Negan-esque. Yep. (laughs) Uh, including her wedding ring, which she is now wearing. And this, but, okay. I I have a problem. Like what, what intrinsic value does that have to him? Just. Uh, revenge? Is it revenge value? Justine in NorCal writes, holy crap, why would you take a woman's wedding ring except to be an ass? In a zombie apocalypse, I can't imagine cash, gold, or jewelry having much value for trades. Yeah. See, and this is a very discussion I had with a friend of mine years ago. I was trying to convince him that money doesn't have an intrinsic value. It's just a rating for uh, you know, representation of a barter system because it has no intrinsic value. If you go into the zombie apocalypse... What value is a dollar bill going to have except for maybe possibly a fuel source for a fire? None. Right? Whereas uh, if you trade cigarettes, you know, you, you gamble for cigarettes. We've all, you know, gambled for cigarettes. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, when you have a bunch of cigarettes, it's not that you're going to trade those cigarettes for something else. You could, but you could always smoke them. Sure. Right? They have intrinsic value. Well, I mean, they whatever things have value if they're sort of assigned value or agreed upon by society that they have value. Right. And that's, that's not intrinsic value. Right. Intrinsic value is uh, having something valuable because it is useful or it, it has uh, a, a value to you, even if it's not assigned a value by uh, a society. Whereas that wedding ring absolutely does not have any intrinsic value. It only has personal value, right? It right. just means something to Carol and he's taking it just to be a dickhead. Right. Well, that's exactly what he's doing. Just to be an asshole. But he knows who he's dealing with, right? Uh, How stupid does this guy have to be in order to piss off Carol? uh, Yeah, but he's stupid. No one's ever claimed that Jed was a smart guy. Yeah. Right? And he just thinks this is a way because there's enough of, there's only two of them and there's enough of his people, uh, which I think he even says in the alley, right, when they capture them. Um, But he just wants to be a dick and he wants to get back at her for whatever she did six years ago. At the camp. Um, And, you know, that's the kind of guy he is. And in the scene, it pisses Henry off so much that he flips up his stick, tacks Jed, and knocks him down. Uh, Which is a cool move, but a bad idea. Because everyone gets, you know, their their weapons up and stuff like that. And then Jed gets up, throws him to the ground, and Carol ends up giving him the ring. Yeah. 
So we've seen like when I first saw this, I'm like Carol being meek and and uh, giving in to somebody else. I've seen this before, and it's a lie. It is. Oh yeah, she she <laughs> plays people, man. She can yeah. play a part very well. <laughs> yeah. So I knew something was coming. I knew the hammer was coming down at some point. A Carol hammer. I look forward to it. Uh, right. We go over to Judith and she's sitting on the stairs of the house doing a math problem about airplanes. And she's right outside Negan's cell window. So he can talk to her while she's sitting there and she's talking to him. And he says that it's irrelevant uh, because there are no more airplanes. <laughs> I think maybe Negan, you're missing the point of math. I think maybe, but you know, he's, he's like, why don't you do something relevant to your current life and she tells him about the new people and he goes on about this story about bringing stray dogs home as a kid and that one dog was a bad dog and he ate or he killed all the other dogs and after that he didn't bring any more dogs home so he's equating the dogs to the people if you bring in a bad person he's going to kill everybody and then you don't bring in any more bad people um but you know he kind of says to judith i know you just wanted to help them but that's a bad idea He's got a really short haircut too. Yeah, he's been uh, he's uh, freshly shorn. It looks like it. It really looks yeah. like it. So Brian in Buford, Georgia writes, "Holy crap, is Negan being let out of his cage now? His jail cell never had a window, but there he is hanging out by the basement window talking to Judith. Is he getting free reign of the basement now? He may be broken, but he's still a jerk at least, and I hope Alexandria isn't letting him try to build trust with them." So a couple of things uh, here. One is it looks like to me that the window at one, one point was uh, cinder blocked over and that they had removed a couple of cinder blocks and put in uh, more bars. So I think that they've, uh, they've eased up a little bit in the last few years on his imprisonment and let him have a window. Yeah, 100%. If you go back to previous episodes and look there is a window there but it's very small and dark so they've they've expanded it for him they've given him a little more natural light in the cell yeah and uh what i really liked about this episode is you know i've i've been a proponent of uh don't talk to negan mm-hmm. like like this talking to negan is a, is a mistake because he's just going to try and manipulate you and sow seeds of uh doubt and mistrust and that kind of thing but uh, Judith doesn't take any shit from him. She's like, I wanted your help with math. If you're going to not talk about math, you can go fuck yourself. And she leaves. Right. That's kind of and a kid thing to do, too. It was awesome. It was, uh, you know, I'm not, she is immune to his bullshit, which it was really nice to see. Yeah, because not everybody is. And in fact, most adults wouldn't be, right? Yeah. But a kid, she's like, I'm, I'm here to talk about one thing. And if you're not going to do that, then leave me alone. Yeah, and he was being an ass because uh, the book she was reading from was called Practical Mathematics. Uh-huh. I mean, the whole point is it's practical. If Negan's saying you got to, you know, do something that's practical, it's like it's written right on the cover here. It says practical. Yeah. Just because there's no more planes doesn't mean it doesn't don't have to figure out, uh, you know, whether these planes are going to pass each other in uh, fifteen minutes or thirty five hours from now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's you can still use this other ways. Like what? Okay, replace the word plane. With wagon. Absolutely, or horse, or anything. Or horse, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure, a horse is not going to go 500 miles an hour, but let's pretend. I can pretend. (laughs) Yeah. So, 
I really liked that she uh, appeared. Like I was worried when I first saw this, and then you know I, I was also worried thinking about this coming up because I knew that Judas was going to talk to Negan. Like we knew that there was going to be a conversation between these two people, and I was a little worried about the manipulation that would happen coming from Negan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so seeing this, I was really delighted to see that she's completely immune to him. Well, I hope it continues. I hope we don't suddenly see her sort of being manipulated by him. Um, but because I, I think that's a really good point you make. I like it. It's, it's, it's nice to see, uh, his sort of skills not working on someone, right? Yeah. Cool. That's nice. All right. So we cut over to Eugene, who is up the water tower installing the radio. Rosita's down on the ground. And just as he's about to climb down, he notices a herd coming. I guess it's the one they saw the tracks, uh, from earlier. And he calls to her. He tries to hurry down, but he falls partway and hurts his knee, and their horses run away. Um, So they're in rough shape. The zombies are closing in on them. She grabs something out of uh, their wagon that he can use as a crutch, and they kind of get up and hobble away together. It's a shovel? Yeah. Yeah, it's a shovel. So he they, knocks the ladder over with his feet in his panic, right? Which was the, the first or last 20 feet. And right. then he decides to drop, which is probably, I don't know if I drop per se. I think I might climb back up and go, well, if I can't get down, those fuckers can't get up. So I'd wait here for rescue or something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think I'd drop that 20 feet because there's a, there's a really good chance that me personally would be more severely injured than Eugene was. Sure, yeah, 20 feet is a pretty far distance to fall. Um, but you're, but then again, being stuck up on top of that radio tower, I mean, you're not going to survive up there very long, you know, with no food, no water. No, but you no know uh, Rosita is on the case, right? If you're going to trust somebody to get you out of a jam, it's going to be Rosita. Well, I, that's true, I know, but if there's enough of the zombies, how are they going to clear them, you know, with enough so that he can climb down safely. I just, I don't know. Like maybe I, he could take the radio and, uh, you know, turn it into a, uh, a flying radio that can uh, distract zombies <laughs> with its, uh, its loud sounds. He already tried that at sanctuary. Remember it crashed and burned. Second time's a charm. I, maybe man, maybe, uh, I just think it's two really bad options. Climb back up and starve to death in a couple of days or drop and twist your knee and be stuck there anyways and get yeah. eaten by zombies. Okay. To be fair, I have bad knees and the thought of me uh, wanting to drop that kind of distance, uh, I am well aware of what that pain might feel like. Mm-hmm. So I think I would avoid it at all costs. I think I would, uh, uh, instead of knowingly going into that amount of pain, I think I would willingly stay out of that situation and try and reason my way out of it later. And just hope that you can be rescued somehow. Yeah, either be rescued or uh, do something else that can uh, that can maybe save me. But I know that dropping down those 20 feet is a surefire way of me not to be alive for very much longer. Yeah, yeah, fair, fair enough. I, I totally get that. I, not many people can drop 20 feet without injuring themselves pretty badly. So Yeah, Jesus could do it. If Jesus was up there, he'd probably just like jump off, do a couple of, Roll, uh, you know, flips in the air and then uh, tuck and roll when he hit the landing and uh, just run. I don't know, glide down with his with his uh, <laughs> trench coat and yeah, just hit the ground running. <laughs> yeah, like Batman, like totally like Batman. Anyways, uh, they hobble off together and he's got a bad knee and they they're trying to escape. 
commercial break and we come back. Carol and Henry are at a camp at night and he questions. So I guess the saviors did let them go and now they're just spending the night somewhere. And he questions why she didn't even try to fight back. Uh, she says there's no point, but he's, um, he says that she taught him to stand up for what's right uh, and what changed. And she didn't fight back because he, he happened and he wants to keep, uh, she wants to keep him safe. So, right. You know, she's not going to get herself into a dangerous situation and possibly be killed, leaving Henry all alone. See, you don't get yourself into a knowingly bad situation when you can step back from it and try and re- reason your way into a better, uh, into a better situation. Right. It's a whole new Carol for now. <laughs> no, Carol's done this in the past. Yeah. She's done that. She's, you know, stepped back and pretended to be something that she wasn't and uh, usually gets away with it. Like, you know, she's pretending not to be a child murderer until it comes time to murder somebody's child. <laughs> and then she just falls right back into her old ways. That's right. <laughs> uh, okay. So now is the scene where we have this new group with Magnet and everybody in the house by themselves. And they're all telling Magna that she ruined their chances of staying by hiding that knife in her belt buckle. She says she wants to fight to get their stuff back and then leave. But the rest of the group disagrees and they make her hand over uh, Miko, they call her, Yumiko, Miko's necklace, which is another knife. (laughs) Yeah. So she had two hidden knives on her that they didn't find. You can never have too many hidden knives. Yeah, I, I guess not. But she had at least two. Um, so there's sort of, uh, there's kind of a a rift in the group here a little bit, right? Some of them just want to like, let's do whatever these people say so we can stay. But Magna's like, if they're going to kick us out, we got, we got to take our stuff with us. So we better go find it. Did they say that they're going to kick them out without letting them take their stuff? Well, I must admit, I wasn't totally clear on that. I don't know if she's just assuming that they're not going to give them anything back before they make them leave, but that would be kind of heartless like if you're going to kick someone out at least let them take what they brought with them yeah at I least mean, that would be kind of harsh that's right that'd be what the saviors are doing it's like uh, we're going to let you go but we're going to take all your stuff yeah no and your mattresses if they had mattresses with them you know would they take them that would be a very negan thing to do right or at least a simon thing to do right you want to make uh, they, they'd like to make people suffer so that's yeah. it but so i'm wondering if somebody told them that they would be leaving without their stuff or whether they just are assuming the worst. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. If someone told them, I kind of missed it, but they may just be assuming the worst. I don't know. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we go back to nighttime. Well, not back to nighttime. We go out into the forest at nighttime. We see all the saviors that recently released Carol. They are asleep somewhere. Carol comes (laughs) in. She has spread gasoline all over the place. Jed wakes up and... He realizes what's about to happen. Carol accuses them of stealing their stuff and hurting her son. And then she strikes a match and lights them all on fire and burns them the fuck up. Like, <laughs> oh my God, man. <laughs> yeah. So this is, this, uh, you know, reversed. Uh, and then some, the crestfallen feeling I had when we first saw the saviors. When I first saw them, I was like, oh, we're going to deal with this shit for uh, for a while. Like, aren't we done with the saviors? And then Carol uh, does double duty by proving how much of a badass she is uh, and cleaning up the savior timeline or the savior plot line 
all together. Like it's, it's done. It is she's done. Just set fire to it, and she's uh, she's still a kick ass individual who is playing meek. Uh, but uh, so yeah, she did double duty there, which made me happy on two separate fronts. I I totally agree. And this is Angela Kang, baby. I mean, she she is moving things along at a pace that we haven't seen on this show in in many years. Right? Yeah. We start the season, Gregory gets hanged, bang. Uh, we plow through all kinds of good stuff. Rick is gone. One more episode. Oh man, the saviors are back. Wait, no, they're not. They're all on fire. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like crazy jed is dead regina is dead all of them burned up and uh i i gotta think you know a huge criticism of the last few seasons has been it is taking forever to get anywhere you know the whole season takes is it spans six days that's not good let's move through some stuff and i think angela kang heard that criticism and she is telling a story like it doesn't have to be bad though I mean, it can be good. Uh, I don't know. You've, you've never seen Deadwood, right? I know what you're saying. The slow storytelling doesn't have to be bad, but there are times when it is. And it, I think on The Walking Dead, it wasn't great for a couple of years. Each episode of Deadwood take, took place over like 20 hours, and that was it. Mm -hmm. Every episode started exactly the moment the last episode ended, and it never stopped for the whole season. Like the whole season took maybe three or four days and then they would do a jump in time and the next season would take three or four days and like of overall time. It was, uh, and it yeah, was yeah. really well done. It was great. Absolutely. So I'm not it doesn't have to be that way. You can tell some slow storytelling or, you know, compressed timeline storytelling, mm -hmm. but this show, I agree that this style is better. This pace is more entertaining. It it feels better, and, you know, maybe it'll slow down again in the future, maybe not. I'm not saying that the slow storytelling is always bad. I'm just saying it can be bad, and I think that's a valid criticism of the last two seasons of Walking Dead. So here is we are the, going faster. Sorry, sorry about that. I'm just wondering if this is the uh, result of a, uh, a separation between uh, Robert Kirkman and the showrunner. Like, now we have Scott Gimple between the two. Right, doing uh, doing liaising between uh, you know uh, Robert Kirkman and the showrunner of this show mm -hmm. was was Kirkman fucking everything up? Maybe it wasn't Scott Gimple. Maybe he was just dealing with uh, Kirkman all the time, and Kirkman saying, "No, you got to do it this way. You got to do it this way." I I don't really know. Like it's hard to say what the dy dynamic is between those two guys, right? Because Kirkman used to be in the writing room constantly. I yeah, don't, I don't think he's there day to day anymore. That's the feeling I have, and. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because I was walking around the other day and I realized that who's the one person that we haven't heard any comments from about the final episode of Rick or really anything to do with season nine is Robert The Kirkman. answer is Kirkman's lies. Well, Kirkman's lies, but <laughs> it's weird that we haven't heard anything from him. We've heard Scott Gimple talk. He's been on Talking Dead. We had Angela Kang on the show. She's been doing interviews all over the place. All the cast members are are giving their thoughts on Andy Lincoln and just wait, the way the season is going. Kirkman's been silent. So that could be just because he's busy with other stuff. I don't know. Maybe he's not involved in the day-to-day -day as much as he used to be because they have a super qualified showrunner and they've got Gimple doing stuff. Maybe he doesn't need to be there, but I just think it's weird that he hasn't been around at all. You'd think, at the very least, he'd have a comment on Rick being in his comics still, but not in his TV show. 
Uh, it might be. I mean, it also might, the way I like to think of it is that Robert Kirkman has a choice. He can be in the writing room every day working with the uh, the writing staff and the and the showrunner on the uh, the plot lines and talking about his vision and all this stuff and working like a dog uh and doing interviews and uh doing all this stuff on a regular basis and making millions of dollars or he can sit in his rec room doing puzzles and make the same amount of money <laughs> yeah you know it's it, for me it's not a tough call oh sure. It'd be like you go do that thing you know just you know send me a bag of money every now and again and I'm happy. Yeah, totally. But I'm just saying it's not a tough, it's not a difficult thing to like pick up the phone one time and ask, answer a few questions in an interview. And I, and there's just been none of that. Yeah. It's also a personality type. There's a lot of people out there would be like, yeah, no, I would much prefer to have my hands in the, in the, in the making of the sausage. Whereas other people would be like, no, you just, when you're done with the sausage, you let me know and I'll, uh, I'll eat it. Right. Yeah. I'm, the, I'm the eat the sausage kind of guy, not the make the sausage kind of guy. I guess those are two very distinct personalities. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I just think it's weird. I just think it's weird that he hasn't had any comment on any of this. I mean, maybe he has and I've missed it, but I think I follow the news pretty, pretty hardcore and I haven't seen anything. So, yeah. Uh, anyways, Jed, Regina, they're all dead. Saviors moved on from them. Done and done. Done and done. Commercial break, and we've got, after that, we've got Magna sneaking around Michonne's house. So here we are to how the hell did Magna get out of that other house? Who knows, but she's sneaking around, and she has yet another knife, Jason. Yeah, third knife. Like I said, you can never have too many secret knives. I mean, if you have seven secret knives, and then you get into a situation where somebody searches you and takes seven secret knives... It doesn't hurt to have an eighth knife, right? Well, if you have an eighth knife and somebody searches you and finds all eight, then that's fine. But if they only find seven, you still got another one. So there are only so many places on the human body you can hide a knife. And we've done belt buckle. We've done necklace. I mean, where the hell was this one? Well, let's not, it was in her hair. Her hair is pretty nasty. So uh, I'm pretty sure that she had it woven into her hair somehow. All right. I guess. Because how, you know, if you're, if you have a big rat nest of a hairdo that is uh, dirty and grimy and there's like bugs in it and stuff, it's not going to be searched too hard by people doing a pat down. Right? <laughs> no, so probably like, not. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll make sure you don't have a knife in your boot or on your belt. Uh, but I'm not going through that hair of yours to look for knives. Just shake so, it around a bit. No, nothing fell out. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> fell out. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. Right. So maybe that's the secret is to hide it in your hair. Well, ready, she- ready, nasty hair. I guess so. She hid it somewhere because it's another knife. Uh, she's standing on Michonne's porch. She sees Michonne through the window. And what do we get? We get Michonne cuddling a toddler who she calls RJ. RJ. So that's Rick Jr., right? Uh, Rick Jr. It's, it's Rick Jr. It, well, it has to be. It has to be. I mean, there's no nothing else RJ can be. So Michonne did indeed get pregnant by Rick and have a baby and it was Rick Jr. There you go. I would call him Ricky. I wouldn't, I would never have a baby called Rick and not call him Ricky. I know, but then, then he has to be Ricky J and I don't know. No, if but I then like I that. have to call him RJ. I don't want to call somebody RJ. RJ is not terrible. It's not terrible, but I much prefer Ricky. Yeah. Okay. I guess. But then you're just too tempted to call him Ricky J and I don't like that. So just no, Ricky No, I wouldn't fine. call him Ricky J. I'd, I'd. The problem with that is I'd I'd constantly be saying, oh, Ricky, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Ricky. Also bad. <laughs> also bad. I would just, I would constantly say that. There's no good way to do this, really. 
No. I mean, Ricky's a good name, and that's what I would use, but uh, it's just, it's a slippery slope. Ricky Boy? Right? How about Ricky Boy? Uh, Little Rick. Uh, Little Rick. <laughs> Little Richard. <laughs> there you There's go. There's so much. There's so much. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I, I would probably go with a different name, Well, personally. it's obviously Rick, Rick, Rick Jr. Yeah. Rick Jasper. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so Magnus sees this, and we're all thinking she's there to harm Michonne in some way, but she knocks on the door and she surrenders her third knife and says, there's one more you missed. Uh, and she says to Michonne that, you know, I understand I wouldn't trust me either. <laughs> and uh, she kind of goes to, to walk away. Now inside Michonne closes the door, turns around and Judith is waiting for her on the stairs, holding her dad's gun. And Judith reminds Michonne that Rick, her dad, would have wanted her to help these people. And uh, she also mentions that she knows Michonne talks to people sometimes, her her husband Rick or Carl. Um, and she says that she's forgetting their voices, and she hopes that her mom can still hear them. Yeah. It was a touching little scene, actually. It was nice. And then RJ comes running in, and Michonne picks him up. So... Yeah, RJ's real. That's not something we just imagined. He's really there. <laughs> no, he yeah, he's definitely really there. I didn't think he was imagined, but no, I thought I that RJ was probably in the room upstairs, and that's who she was talking to. Yeah, that didn't occur to me. Maybe that is the case, but I think the point was Michonne was expressing her concerns out loud to, you know, nobody or yeah. to anyone who would listen. And right. then seeing Judas with that python... She can't even hold it. Like, it's too big for her, her even to, to hold and to point it at something that isn't up or down. Well, it's a large gun, and she's going to have to learn how to use it. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> and she had good trigger discipline, too. Well, like She was obviously trained uh, because her finger was not on the trigger. It was uh, beside it, so she had good trigger discipline. Right. Just well, nice to see. Nice to see. And, I mean, rule number one, or lesson number one when teaching a nine-year-old how to use a gun is good trigger discipline. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? that's right. So. Very important. Yes. And, All right. And don't run with the gun. Which no. she did as well. She ran up the stairs with with the handgun in her hand. Okay. Don't, 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 don't run. I mean- It's it, like running with a pair of scissors. It's almost it's worse. It's worse than running with a pair of scissors. Yeah. It's it's almost comical, though, watching her hold it because it, it's like bigger than her head and like it's flopping around all over the place, but she'll get used to it. And we haven't really seen her other than that training- shot earlier using the sword. So maybe she's better with the sword. Maybe, but put it on a wall and work towards it and give her a small little something. Sure. It could be a revolver. Revolvers are nice and reliable, uh, you know, but something <laughs> a little bit more appropriately sized for a nine-year-old. All right. Well, for now, they haven't figured that out. We go out to Regine, uh, Regine, Eugene and Rosita. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> They're not even a couple and I'm putting them together. They're yeah. running through the forest and he's, you know, in rough shape. So he tells her to go on without him. And he starts to confess his love for her. He says, <laughs> I've been working up to this. I've developed the testicular fortitude for what I'm about to say. And her response is my favorite thing in the episode. She says, oh, yeah. shut up. Don't make this weird. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely the best line in the whole episode. <laughs> totally. I loved it. It was so awesome. She's like, don't make this weird. We got to go. <laughs> <laughs> like. And she, it's something she had to voice. She like had she's to, known yeah. Eugene for a long time, and 
this is the thing that gets weird. I'm sure it's gotten weird a number of times in the in the past. So she said it so matter of factly. It's just like, shut up, don't make this weird. Yeah. Let's get through this and then you can go back to being normal weird. Right. Just your regular amount of weird. Like this is not the time for weird, super weird Eugene. Yeah. Uh anyways. Carol and Henry, they're on the road again and he now it's the next day, so he's had some time to think. He apologizes and thanks her, you know, for saving him and being a good mom and stuff like that. They turn off the road again, um, which is kind of what got them in trouble the first time, but they find Daryl and Carol offers him a ride, uh, which, which I liked. I really liked this scene. We didn't see, I forgot. I forgot we saw Daryl at the beginning, but for some reason, Carol has decided to go out and find him and sort of bring him back. Right. And it looks like he's going to get on the wagon with them. So that's good. Yeah. He's got, uh, he's going for a ride. He's like, well, I, you know, I haven't been out in the woods for quite some time. I need a new tent. Maybe I could go hang out with these people for a little while. Right. Get myself something, self something with a little fewer holes in it. And this is a part of the country where there is winter. Yeah? Yeah. Even though it's you know, colder and stuff. We're never going to see it, but there is winter in Washington. Yeah. Yeah. You need a good tent. You can't just have a ratty old tent that doesn't even do anything if it rains, let alone snows. No, barely. Exactly. Uh, Don in Wisconsin writes, holy crap, Daryl is dressed for the green moon of Endor. He can survive on Ewoks now instead of squirrels. <laughs> oh, that's a good turn turnabout because uh, Ewoks eat people. When the Ewoks captured Luke and, and Han and everybody, they were going to eat them. They were going to cook them up. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that's uh, that's pretty crazy. So Ewoks don't fuck around. They're like, they're ready to, to chow down on people. They worshipped 3PO and they were going to eat the humans. That's right. So having somebody, you know, somebody like Daryl eat Ewoks, I think it's fine. It's well, turnabout is fair play. It's only fair. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and the, one thing uh, I noticed is that uh, Henry noticed that Carol had her ring back. Yes. He didn't say anything, but he noticed that uh, the ring was on her finger. Oh. He knows. He knows Carol's not fucking around and she's only playing meek. And he knows he has to watch his step because uh, he will probably get murdered if he doesn't... Uh, Stay in line. You better watch out. Watch your tone, mister. <laughs> yes, yeah, <that's> right. <laughs> uh, I was going to say the thing about this quick scene with Daryl here is I really liked it because even though we have no idea what Daryl has been doing, how long he's been gone or why he's out there, I felt like just in this quick moment, you could feel the history between these these two characters. Like you can just tell they've known each other for a long time. They have this old relationship. They have stories together deep respect for each other i don't know what it was if it was just the two of these actors you know work well together but um i feel like the show has lacked that a little bit in the past and in this one quick scene for some reason i could feel the bond between them and i liked it yeah it was nice so i think they just did a good job somehow getting that across in this one like hey do you need a ride scene right so it was really good um, we go to Michonne, she's in her, in her home and she takes off her robe in her room and we see a large scar in the shape of an X on her back. We do. Uh, and that's a very deliberate looking scar back there. Like you don't get a scar like that by accident. I don't think. Nope. So don't know what's going on there. Amy in Indy says, did you see this X scar on Michonne's back? Who did she give a kidney to and who performed the operation? Both. Yeah. Well, I would probably wouldn't 
give a kidney to somebody in this uh, in this uh, zombie apocalypse. Like kidneys yeah. are okay to only have one if you have you know modern food and drink and stuff. But mm-hmm. uh, two kidneys are generally important. So I wouldn't give a kidney, and that's a bad scar for a kidney. It's just like oh, it's like oh, I'll take a kidney. Sure, it's but- not even that. That's a ragged scar. That's a big ragged scar. That wasn't done by anything sharp. Well, big ragged scar, definitely, but I just mean the the specific shape of the X is just too perfect. Like it's not an accident, but it's yeah. not um, it's not done by a skilled surgeon. No, yeah, if the deliberate shot wasn't uh, you know, indicator enough that that's a story, it's the perfection of that scar that uh, indicates uh, it's going to be story time to figure out what uh, what happened there. Absolutely, we will find out. I'm sure. But anyway, she gets dressed in, I think, what looks like one of Rick's shirts. So she's wearing Rick's clothes. It's fine. Well, it's a zombie <laughs> apocalypse. You wear what's available. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. You don't You don't say, well, this is Rick's clothes. I'm just going to donate these to Goodwill. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you put them into rotation and you wear those clothes until they don't work anymore. Until they're not wearable at all anymore. Okay. So outside, they are packing up Magna's group to leave. And Luke thanks Sadiq um, and and Judith. Uh, and then Michonne rides up and says there's been a change of plans. Uh, Michonne and Sadiq are going to escort them to the hilltop where the leader might take them in. So they're not. Might. Yeah, you're not going to stay here, but we're going to take you somewhere else that, you know, we don't have a great relationship with. And maybe you can stay there. You never know. Well, she knows something that we don't as well. For sure. I mean, if you're if you're right about Jesus being, you know, the guy in charge over there, which I'm pretty sure you are, uh, he's the kind of guy, from what we know so far, that will probably want to take them in and and uh, help help them out. Yeah. So that's what they're going to do. Uh, back in the woods, final scene of the episode. We get this scene that we saw in the trailer way back when, and. Rosita and Eugene are fleeing from these zombies through the forest. They jump down into this river riverbank that's all muddy. They cover themselves in mud to, to hide. And the zombies pass above them, just up the hill a little bit. And we already knew that in that scene, we could hear what sounded like a zombie say, where are they? But now, in the full scene, we hear the zombie say, where are they? They must be close. Don't let them get away. Yep. And Rosita covers her mouth in horror. So you can tell that she understood them saying some actual words. And she's horrified by this and probably has no idea what to think. And the episode is over. I'm kind of sad we saw this in the trailer because if we saw this in the episode for the first time, it would be mind-blowing. It would be mind-blowing for a lot of people. That's very true. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and we're, look, we're going to get a lot more information about what's going on here very soon, so I don't think we need to talk about it. Comic readers know what's going on, and it's crazy. There was a reference in the trailer for these episodes about the zombies evolving. Which so, we'll see next episode, I guess. I guess we'll see next episode. There's only two more before the mid-season break. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they're hiding there and the zombies are stumbling across above them having a little conversation. Yep. 
that is it. So a few more holy craps here before we round this sucker out. Noop J on the internet writes, holy crap, it's kind of a whole new show. I love seeing progress of the communities, society being rebuilt, and the implication that stories are happening not in the span of five to ten days like all the other seasons have done. Yep. Dominique in northern Quebec writes, holy crap, six years gone by and no sign of Morgan or the fear crew. I guess they never made it back to Alexandria. (laughs) (laughs) I guess not. Or they did, and that was like three years ago, and they've left again already. Oh, my God. The next season might be a six-year time jump for them. They made it to Alexandria, decided to leave again, and now they're off somewhere else. Well, yeah. I mean, there is all indications with fear at the end of that season were that they are not going to try to get back to Alexandria. Morgan changed his mind. Uh, But who knows? Six years is a lot of time for stuff to happen. It seemed like it only took him a short time to get to Texas. So I think six years is plenty of time to get back. But for now, as far as we know, they never, never got there. Um, Miguel on the internet wrote, uh, now we've had five out of six good episodes this season. Holy crap. So I guess Miguel didn't, I assume didn't like this one, <laughs> but, uh, what are you going to do? That's okay. That's okay. And finally, Bill in New Jersey writes, holy crap. I love this new beginning. I'm about halfway through the episode and love it so far. It has a new yet familiar feel to it. My personal name for this episode is... The Walking Dead Part 2, Season 1, Episode 1. <laughs> yep, that's nice. <laughs> so, I kind of feel feel what Bill is saying there. It does feel like a new show now, and that's a good thing, I think. It's it's familiar, but but new, and, uh, yeah. and I like it. I thought this episode was another really good one. It was good. I really enjoyed this. Uh, one thing I really uh, I loved the most about this episode, other than that uh, don't make this weird line, mm-hmm. was the fact that all of the wagons we saw, and we saw three separate wagons, were all tired. Like they had four tires with, uh, you know, either a covered wagon or a seat, like a car seat on springs and stuff. Yeah. So they all took my advice of not using that bullshit wagon from the museum. They made their <laughs> own damn wagons uh, using modern uh Tires, which yeah. I think is a, is a good good idea. Well, that's good. Uh, that is a good point. They're they're building wagons the right way or the Jason way. Yeah, and even the the saviors, their take on the wagon, like they had their own wagon that was had tires, but they used uh, they were using zombies to haul it. Right, I forgot to mention that, and not horses. So, uh, yeah, that's what Michonne did. Right, she put backpacks on those two guys and was using them for cover and carrying capacity. Uh huh. So, yeah, I mean, turn zombies into manual labor. It's not like it's slave labor or anything. No, they're dead. They're dead. Right? So that's a that's a good point. That was one of those interesting things that we saw with the saviors there. Like, they are struggling to get by, right? Um, and, yeah. and using zombies as uh, just horsepower to move their shit around is uh, a dangerous but possibly okay idea. Ah, you should do what Michonne did. You cut off their lower jaw and, and their, their arms. arms. Yeah. And they're good to go. Yeah. Didn't Michonne at one point say something about they just kind of stop trying to eat her after a while, right? Because they can't. So. Yeah. I think uh, I might have been, I might be pulling this memory from the Max book, uh, the zombie survival guide, but uh, zombies that can't feed no longer desire to feed. Hmm. So if you cut off their, uh, their lower jaws or you know, the ability to bite something, they lose the desire to actually want to uh, 
uh, attack. But that might be, I think that's actually from the, uh, from Zombie Survival Guide and not, uh, not this show. But it makes kind of sense from what we've seen of Michonne's couple of zombies there. Yeah, yeah. And um, Max Brooks, right? The guy who wrote World yeah. War Z did that one Mel before. Mel Brooks' son. Yeah, that's right. Uh, interesting. Cool. I don't know if that's a rule in this universe, but I mean, Michonne did say something about those zombies stopped trying to get her after a while because they just had no way of doing it. Uh, so yeah. you're right. If you're going to use zombies as um, horsepower to pull your, your wagon, you should probably do it safely and cut their arms off and stuff. Yeah. It's like putting your, uh, your firearm on, uh, turning on the safety. Right. Just uh, to make sure nobody gets hurt. It's, it's you know, good idea. You do what you got to do <laughs> and uh, you're fine. All right. Well, I thought this episode was also really good. I am just delighted about how this season is going. It is fun to watch. It is entertaining. I, I, they've There are almost no major missteps so far. What they're doing with Negan, I think, is great. I think Negan had a very different demeanor in this episode. Um, maybe because he was talking to a child, or maybe because it's six years on and he's just starting to become a different person a little bit. I think we're going to get more of him in the final two episodes here, but, uh, you know, whatever the, the stuff they're doing with him has been wonderful and yeah, it just feels like a whole new show. It, it, in a way it felt like a whole new show from episode one. And here we are having done episode six and it's just reinvented itself again already. Yeah. It's, I agree. Absolutely incredible. So well done walking dead. Uh, I hope the next two are just as good at this point. I expect them to be. And uh, we're going to have, you know, one of the best half seasons we've had since the show started uh, the way it's going. Uh, I think so. So good stuff. All righty. That is our recap for this episode. And um, let's see, Jason, later this week, uh, as I said at the beginning, I'm traveling a little bit, so I'm not going to be able to record Thursday night. I'm afraid. We're going to have to figure something out. Hopefully we can do it on Friday, but we'll talk about that. But that doesn't mean, everyone, you shouldn't send your feedback in. So absolutely do um, send, you know, calls and emails and everything in, and we will do our best to do a feedback show at some point and get it out there. I'm sure there's all kinds of things you want to comment on and talk about about this episode. Um, so yeah, so send emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or visit the website and click on send voicemail at the top to send your messages. Uh, or the best way to do it is, uh, record a message into your phone and email that straight to us. It usually sounds really good. Find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead. And uh, do us a favor, leave us a review on iTunes, if you could. That's a really great way to help sort of get uh, new listeners and grow the audience a little bit more. And as we lead into the mid-season finale here, it's also a good way to get noticed by iTunes. And then they might feature us, which is fun. That would be fun. Very, very I would fun. find that fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's great. Just leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, the more stars, the better. Okay, anything else, Jason, before we call it a night? I don't think so. I'm excited to see what next episode brings with these uh, evolving uh, zombie people. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, we could talk more about it, but I'm not going we're to. Not, yeah, we're not going to. No, we're not going to. All right, we'll get more of that as we move forward into the last two episodes. So until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Good night.